Campbell, pastor here at Cornerstone, and a special welcome to visitors we have with us today. I, I much prefer this setup. I feel feel like a church instead of uh, whatever that was. So uh, I feel it, it's much better. It's much better. I hope it's better for you too. And we are continuing our series on the book of Revelation, looking at Revelation chapter 7 today. So please open your Bibles to Revelation 7. I'd like you to follow along, please. On Saturday morning, I like to buy the Weekend Australian and a cup of coffee, and I, I read through it. And I read this particularly sad article yesterday about Gen X women, so women born between 1965 and, and 1980. I'm a, I'm a Gen X bloke. And here's an excerpt about women born in that period and their lives today in Australia. One woman I know had, had everything she'd ever wanted, a loving partner, two children, a career she cared about, even the freedom to make her own schedule. But she still couldn't shake a feeling of profound despair. She spent months getting a babysitter for her toddler in the middle of the day, using the time to go alone to noon movies where she sat in the dark and cried. A former co-worker told me that her impressive LinkedIn profile was misleading. In truth, she was underemployed and for years had been taking one low-paying job after another. She's unmarried, never had kids, and while that part's okay with her, she started dreading her upcoming 50th birthday, having realised that she will probably never own her own home and has saved nowhere near enough for retirement. A neighbour with a small army of adorable young children was doing part-time work she enjoyed. Her kid's father was a friendly, hard-working man. She was baffled then by the rage she had come to feel toward him. She'd begun to imagine that she might have had a better shot at happiness if they divorced. I'd leave, she said, if I had more money. Finally, an acquaintance told me she'd been having a rough time working at three jobs as a single mother since her husband left her. Determined to cheer up her family, she planned a weekend trip. After a long week, she started packing at 10pm, intending to catch a few hours sleep before their planned 5am departure. She asked her 11-year-old son to start gathering his stuff. He didn't move. She asked again. Nothing. If you don't help, she told him, I'm going to smash your iPod. iPad. He still didn't move. As if possessed, she grabbed a hammer and whacked the iPad to pieces. Her first thought as she stood over the smashed device, I have to find a good therapist right now. This kind of inner rage and turmoil, the sense of purpose, purposelessness, suffering and loss, isn't this the air we breathe today in the nation of Australia? And it afflicts both men and women and people of all generations. Though we've only ever been told in our lifetime that our lives are essentially meaningless, that we are the stuff of chance evolutionary processes, and that suffering is integral to the process of the survival of the fittest. 
We've never felt at peace with that sense of meaninglessness and suffering, and we never will. It's not what we were created for. We know that we were made for something better. The book of Revelation makes sense of this. The book of Revelation says that right now our world is under the judgment of God. And in Revelation 6, we saw that from the throne of God, from heaven, comes those four horsemen bringing judgment, war, famine, and death. Pain, inner rage, inner turmoil, that sense of purposelessness and loss. That's what comes with that. That's what comes with the judgment of God on this world. This is life under God's anger for our sin. That's why we look so carefully at Revelation 6, to see those four horsemen bringing judgment now on the earth, a foretaste of God's final judgment for our sin. But this morning, let's listen to what your God and Father is saying to you, to you who live in a world where his judgment is falling all around you and where all around us people are feeling this sense of purposelessness and despair and rage and loneliness. In this world, under the temporal judgments of God and facing a final judgment, you need to know from Revelation chapter 7, three things. That you are sealed, that you are washed, and that you are tenderly loved. You're sealed, washed, and tenderly loved. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray as we read your word this morning that you will speak to us. Be our teacher this morning, Father, we pray. Amen. And so there in Revelation chapter 7, we read that after this, I, that's John, the author of Revelation, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on every tree or on any tree. And, and this is really going back in, in uh, logical order to the start of chapter 6 where we saw those four horsemen coming from the throne room of God bringing judgment and war and famine and death and what we see here is that there are four angels, as it were, holding back those four horsemen, holding back the, the temporal judgments of God that are about to fall on the earth. Do you see that? Do you see those angels holding back this, the, the, the wind of God's judgment? And then John says in verse 2, I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. And a seal was... Uh, uh, usually a brand that you would use to brand cattle or slaves or soldiers. Uh, seal, uh, different kinds of seals could be used to seal letters. But this seems to be some kind of a, a brand, an ownership mark 
And I saw this angel having the seal of the living God. And he called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea in that they were holding back for the moment the judgments of God. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. So do you see what's going on here? The book of Revelation, the curtains are open. We are looking into the throne room of God and we are seeing that the the judgments of God are about to fall on this sinful world. And we see these four angels holding back that judgment for the moment until what? Until God's people have been sealed. Until they've been marked until they've been branded, as it were, on the forehead, no less, as belonging to God. Now, if you're brand new to the book of Revelation, this is not talking about a physical brand. This is a spiritual book. It's showing us invisible spiritual truths with symbols and signs and numbers that are drawn from the Old Testament. And so this is a spiritual thing described here. And what is happening is that the angel is saying, don't let the judgments of God fall on this earth until all of his people have been marked out, sealed, identified as belonging to God. Well, how many of these people are there? That's verse 4. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And then it's broken down there. 12,000 from Judah, 12,000 from Reuben, 12,000 from Gad, and so on. Who are these 12 people? Well, they are 12 of the patriarchs of the book of Genesis. Now, Now, what's going on here? What is this teaching? What is God teaching us here? Who are these these people who are being marked, identified as belonging to God before the judgments of God fall upon the earth? What is the significance of this number, 144,000, and this breakdown that we see from verses 5 to 8? Well, this is what it means. God came to the patriarch Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and what did he say to Abraham? He said, you will be the father of a great nation, a great people. And God reiterated that promise in Genesis chapter 13. And then again in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham, look at the stars, God said. (laughs) Count them, Abraham. Well, he can't. There's too many to count. That's how, that's how many descendants you're going to have. That's the size of the nation that you are going to be the father of. Abraham, think of the, the sand on the seashore. Your descendants are going to be even more than that. And what we see here in the book of Revelation is the fulfillment of that promise. Because Abraham became the father of, as it were, the 12 patriarchs the, the, the 12 men who became the heads of 12 tribes of Israel. 
And with 144, what do we see? We see that each of those, in turn, fathers another 12. 12 times 12, that's 144. And in the book of Revelation, a thousand is, what's the significance of a thousand? It's, it's just a very big number. That's what a thousand means in the book of Revelation. It's a big number. I mean, when you're a kid, a thousand of anything's huge, right? And, and that's, that's the basic significance. So, so what, what do we see here? We see that how many is God going to seal as belonging to him? Twelve times twelve times a thousand, a huge number. This, what we see here are the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore, the great nation that God promised to Abraham. And if you are sitting here thinking, well, that's nice. I uh, wish I could trace my lineage to Abraham. I wish I could go through my family tree and, and find Abraham there because I, I would like to be one of these blessed 144,000. I would like to be one of the children of Abraham receiving the ownership mark of God before the judgment of God falls. And what would the Apostle Paul say to you from Galatians chapter 3? He'd say, if you have the faith of Abraham, then you are a child of Abraham. You see, the children of Abraham are not those who can trace their family tree to Abraham, but are those who have the faith of Abraham, that trust that Abraham had in the living God. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are a son, a daughter of Abraham, and you are one of the 144,000. You're included in that group. You are one of the stars in the sky that God showed to Abraham. You're one of the, the, the grains of sand on the seashore. If you've put your trust in Jesus, then you have been marked, sealed as belonging to God. You're included in that group. And that's why the, 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 this 144,000, which is a symbolic number, representing all of God's people from the Old Testament and the New Testament, that's why they cry out in a loud voice in verse 10, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And if you're a Christian, that's your song, isn't it? You know why you've been saved. God saved you. He came and put his mark on you. He came and grabbed hold of you and said, you are one of mine. You're safe. You're with me. Salvation belongs to our God. Well, if you belong to God, if you're a Christian, if you're one of the 144,000, then here's a second wonderful thing that is true of you. And we see it, uh, first of all, we saw it back in verse 9, because we see that these 144,000 are waving palm fronds and they are wearing white robes. And now go down to verse 13 and you will see the significance of those white robes. 
These white robes, by the way, are, they're not short tunics we're talking about. We're talking about long flowing robes that, that, that people kind of wrap themselves in. And one of the elders asked me, these in the white robes, this, this is the 144,000, this is the, the children of Abraham, this is you. The elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So here's another magnificent truth about Christian men and women. They are wrapped in in a white robe that has been washed white, how? In the blood of the Lamb. Now you and I know that no amount of washing in blood is going to make something white. And so this is, this is where we need to remember, this is spiritual language. These are vital symbols. And what does this mean? What's the symbolism? What's the lesson of the white robe washed in blood? Well, what it's saying is this. It's saying that if you are a Christian, then though you were born into sin, and though you are sinful by nature, and though you're, from birth your heart was turned against God and his ways, and although we have not loved God with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength, and though we have not loved our neighbour as ourselves, If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, then God has wrapped you around with a white robe that is white only because it has been washed in the blood of the Lamb, in the blood of Jesus Christ, in other words. It means that every one of your sins has been washed away and dealt with by Jesus when he died on the cross. He died as a sacrifice and his blood has washed away the guilt of your sin, all of your sins. And so God is showing you here, Christians, that in a world that is coming under the judgment of God, and there, is, there are these wars, and they're not just physical wars, they're wars that rage within people. And this world is under famine, and it's not just physical famine, but people are starving, starving for meaning, starving for justice. We live in a world of death. And not just physical death, but there's spiritual death. And God is saying, in a world that's under his judgment and facing a final judgment, you are safe because you've been sealed by God. You're one of Abraham's children. You're one of the descendants, the great nation that God promised some 4,000 years ago. And you are wrapped in that white robe that has been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I don't know about you, but but when someone confronts me with my sin, my first thought is, well, it's not 
not as bad as what you're saying. That's my first thought. My second thought is, well, doesn't everyone do this, 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 this kind of thing? So that, that's my second strategy for dealing with sin. I, I sort of, uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm one of the group. Every teacher knows this, by the way. Point to any child who's doing the wrong thing in the classroom, what's the first thing they do? They look around and say, everyone else is doing that, right? And we, we do the same. We do the same. It's not so bad. Or, well, the reason I did that thing is, and we have our reasons, and we're virtuosos, aren't we, at, at explaining away our sin, dealing with our sin in these pathetic kind of ways. And when we are accused of sin, the right response is to say, you don't know the half of it. You don't know. You're not even scratching the surface of my sin. I'm far, far more guilty than what you know. But I'm wrapped in the the blood of the Lamb, a robe made white by Jesus Christ. My righteousness is not found in myself, it's found in him. When God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of his Son. That's the ground on which I stand. So we we don't have to get defensive. We confess our sin. We repent of it. We deal with it. We do what Zacchaeus did and seek to undo the dreadful effects of it. And we rely on the fact that Christ Jesus has bled and died and suffered for our sin. We're wrapped in his blood. Thirdly, finally, know that you are tenderly loved because I I see nothing but loving tenderness in this description of God's people. The 144,000, the the descendants of Abraham, those wrapped in the, the white robe of Christ's righteousness, You, if you're a Christian, listen to how you're described in verse 15. Some of you might be saying, hang on, isn't this describing Christians in heaven? Isn't this describing... Well, yeah, it is. It is. This is describing the blessed state of all those who go to be in heaven. But so many of those blessings we enjoy already not the full consummation of them, but the beginnings of them. We are already seated in heavenly places, the Apostle Paul says. And so we are already beginning to enjoy the future blessings that are ours. Listen to this. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Like, whoever feels that, that, that kind of pang of jealousy when you read those opening chapters of Samuel and the boy Samuel in the, in the temple of God, in the presence of God, growing up in the very house of God, and you think, that'd be awesome. Well, that is you, if you're a Christian. You are in the temple of God, in his presence, serving him day and night. Our world struggles with with meaninglessness and pointlessness. What's the the point of my life? What am I doing? It's all so futile. 
You've been saved from that. You're serving the living God. You're a slave of Christ. Be no higher calling. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Literally will, and I think it came out in that translation that Calvin used, uh, the tent of God's presence. Because that's what the original word meant. It, 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 it meant to, to be under a tent, under a canopy. So if you're a Christian, you are under the sheltering presence of God. He's like a, a tent over you. So never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. The, those awful descriptions I read at the start of this, this sermon today, this, the, the, these women who are suffering, people who are suffering, you read those words, and there's, there's such a thirst there, isn't there? There's a hunger in those hearts. There must be more to life than this, than what I've been told there is. And if you're a Christian, you've been saved from that pointlessness and meaninglessness. There's no more hungering or thirsting. We were created for Christ, and we have him. And our hearts are full and satisfied with him. Maybe you're a Christian here this morning and you're not feeling that fullness and satisfaction. Is it time to get back daily to the word of God and prayer? Fellowship and communion with God every morning, every evening. If, if, if you're not... Uh, experiencing that satisfaction that's described here, is it because you're neglecting what God is calling you to do each day to commune with him around his word? And the lamb at the centre of their throne will be their shepherd. As a shepherd, that's the word pastor, by the way, it's just a word that means, it's just a Latin word for shepherd. I'm a professional shepherd. But I know my failings and weaknesses, and they're many. I'm so glad that Christ Jesus is your great shepherd. The elders, the under-shepherds, he's your great shepherd. He's a perfect shepherd. And he will never allow you to be destroyed. He will lead you guide you, feed you, protect you. He's the good shepherd and he leads us to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That promise will only reach its final fulfilment in heaven. There are many tears to be shed, aren't there? Many griefs to be faced. Perhaps today, Tomorrow, many tears still to be shed. But when you're with Jesus Christ, they're not tears of, of utter despair, are they? How can they be? Because we know that we are safe in his hands. 
And so, yes, we'll still need tissues quite a while longer. But we don't weep or grieve as the world weeps and grieves because we know that Christ Jesus has us and he's taking us to be with him and nothing can separate us from his love. Brothers and sisters, yes, if we open our eyes and we look at the world around us, don't we see the judgments of God already falling? We see it, don't we? We see the, the cry of broken and empty hearts. But thank God that, that he has sealed you. You belong to him. He had his eye on you before the creation of the world. And you have been wrapped in the white robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. All of your sin taken away and dealt with in him. And you are tenderly, tenderly loved by the Heavenly Father. We live and experience those wonderful, wonderful blessings at the end of Revelation 7. We thank him for that. Let's pray. Father, this morning we pray for those who don't know Christ who don't know the, 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 the great meaning of life, the purpose for their existence, who suffer the despair of that and the rage of that. And I pray for any here this morning who have not yet entrusted their life and future to Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that right now that they are seeing Jesus here in your word great lamb slain for our sins, great shepherd. And I pray right now that, that there are people turning from their sin and entrusting their lives and future to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your tremendous tender love for your people. And I pray that we might enjoy that love and know that love more and more each day. Amen. Thanks, musicians. Please stand.